is Clayton Howe's Entertainment X. For part two with Telly Leung, we continue the conversation on producing. He also talks about empathy and permission. It's a fantastic part two filled with a ton of life lessons. So I hope you enjoy. Keep on keeping on. I'm curious through this time now on everything you've been working on, how have you gotten better at asking or asking questions? How has that improved for you or evolved? Asking questions as like just a a producer or as a human? Yeah, well, it can be. So it's like a two-parter. No, because I want to know how how have you gotten better at asking? Asking for things, asking for, you know, a conversation or asking just the permission to ask for more. And then the other part is questions. How have they improved? You know, you change your questions, you change your life in a way. Yeah, I think the hardest part, the hardest part of asking is what actors fear a lot as well, which is, the fear of rejection, right? Right, <laughs> like, of course. Like yeah. so, like so. Uh, frankly, like if you can sort of deal with your own fear right. that if you ask, they're gonna, they might say no. There's right. a fifty-fifty <laughs> chance that they're gonna say no, yeah. and that you're just gonna have to be okay with that and not take that personally. Yeah. Yeah. But that if you don't ask, you're not gonna get. Mm. So I, you know, it's something mm. that again I struggle with it too because I, I am an actor, mm. and it hurts every time you know I audition for something and people say no to me because it feels like a personal no. Right. And if, right. of course, if you're producing your own thing, if you've decided to like produce your own project and you and, and you're gonna work up the nerve to ask, like you you hope and you dream that somebody sees your vision and believes in you enough to go, yes, I want to come on board with you on this. Right. But also know that if people say no, it's not, it may, there are many reasons why people might say no. Mm -hmm. Some of those reasons might have nothing, might have nothing to do with you or what you're trying to pursue. They just might not be able to say yes for personal reasons that they have, Mm -hmm. that they can't, that they can't support you in this moment. But, um, and then you simply go, okay, thank you. And you have to move on. Right. right? So I, I, I think it's really our own fear and trepidation for, for asking the fear of rejection that keeps us from asking yeah. and it's weird sometimes i feel like sometimes i feel like I, I i'm not i don't know if i ever seek to ask sometimes i just share mm. i go this is what i'm working on and and sometimes i'm surprised by somebody that goes really that's what you're working on that sounds interesting how do i get involved in that and i didn't have to really ask all yeah. i did was go hey this is this is sort of what i'm up to and this is why i think it's important that this exists and they go, really? That's that's awesome. Well, I, I I actually have some resources at the moment. Let me help you do that. Oh God, do you do you need help? Yeah. And so all of a sudden, I'm not asking really. I'm just going, yeah. This is something I'm working on, and you know, this is what I'm coming up against. That you know, if we if we had an extra, like, to, I'm not at, like not really asking, but but just openly sharing. If I had an extra ten grand, this would really help this right oh really well I can I could do that that's not hard for me mm-hmm. do you know what I mean so like it's it's about I think it's sometimes it's not even about directly asking it's just about you know being being sort of transparent and open and sharing right right well you have such a great uh, communicative way you know and I, my next question is about networking right and uh, clearly it would appear as though you don't think of it that way it's just having a conversation yeah and I it's interesting I, I think because I grew up as an only child and again like n- nothing in my upbringing told me to, you know, join the circus and be in the theater. Like nothing, <laughs> like my, not my traditional Chinese parents, not like, not any of that. Right. So mm-hmm. like I, I think I choosing to do this, I really had to dig deep and go, why, why do I do this really difficult competitive 
profession. Mm. And it, it, it is because of the people. Mm. And so when I'm in these, when I'm in a company, you know, it's weird. They're, they're my colleagues. I have professional relationships with them. But, I, mm. but I, when I refer to them, I call them my rent family, mm. my Aladdin family. Like I res- I, my, my Glee brothers. Do you know what I mean? Like I yeah. think of them as family and I think of them as like extending this, this network, which I sort of hate the word network because I think it sort of has like a schmoozy, like slimy feel to that word. And I know so many people yeah. are like reject that word, you know. <laughs> uh, but I, 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 I don't know if I necessarily think of it that way. I, we spend so much time in a theater and on a set with our colleagues mm-hmm. that I spend more time with them than my actual real blood family and as you know being a being a gay person it's all about your chosen family right because sometimes you know i'm I'm very lucky it it took my parents a while to accept me but like i'm very lucky that they do love me i I, I, there are many people Mm -hmm. who are lgbtq plus that don't have that luxury Mm -hmm. of having of having families that accept them so chosen family in my community is so important Mm -hmm. it not only in the lgbtq plus community but in the arts community um that that i i sort of think of networking in that regard you know i i I don't have brothers and sisters i i have it but i do have them Mm -hmm. because i've done a ton of broadway shows and i and i have Godspell brothers and sisters. I do. That I would drop, if somebody said, hey, Telly, I need you for something, and it's somebody I worked on Godspell with 10 years ago, mm. I, I, would, I would treat them like siblings, and I would, do, I would help them. Do you know what I mean? So it's, um, it's, it, it, there is a special bond that gets created in, in the theater, and when you're artists together, that, that, is, that feels like family. So that's, that is how I've thought of my network. Yeah. Yeah. Are there, I have to ask, are there particular stories you're looking to tell in the future? Are there projects that you want to eventually produce or work on? Does anything come to mind? Uh, Yes. Uh, Any, I'm always intrigued by stories that go, I've not heard that yet. Or I've never seen, I haven't seen that yet. Hmm. Or um, going, oh, your, your, um, your voice hasn't been heard yet. You know, so um, I uh, those are sort of important to me. I I don't know how. When does this get released? Um, it's possible as early as next week, or okay. I can hold it. <laughs> it's for everyone. No, to no, hear. no. That's fine. <laughs> I'm gonna. T- I, I I'm I'm currently working on a project that I want to tell you about, which is Great. it's um it the the title is not the title is not fully uh formed, but basically the concept of it is, and we've already shot it and it's done. Um, it's a documentary project. I know nothing about producing documentaries, but here we are. Uh, but basically, I gathered 13 dancers, Broadway performers, who had their jobs canceled last year mm-hmm. uh, due to the pandemic. We gathered them all together at Open Jar Studios in New York City on the one-year anniversary of the Broadway shutdown. They did a dance class together, and then we sat them around, and they they talked about their year. We also got them a little boozy <laughs> at the same time. So, but, um, but it's a, a group of 13 diverse dancers from uh, multi-generational, mm. you know, so, um, and um, we just let the cameras roll mm. until four in the morning. And, um, and it's stuff like that where I go, you know, we marvel at Broadway dancers and what they're able to do with their bodies yeah. all the time. But when have we actually sat them down and heard them and heard their stories and heard them, speak to us in this way, especially after this sort of global pandemic event that has affected our industry in this way. So, um, you know, it's easy to talk about the statistics of Broadway, of who's out of work and the billions of dollars that have been lost in revenue. But then when you start to attach that to people, mm-hmm. it's, a different, it's a different sort of emotional reaction. So 
Um, and it's been a crazy year, as you know, you know, not only for our industry, but for our country and our world dealing with the pandemic, but also dealing with racial and social injustice and, and our, the conversations that are coming up from that now that haven't really come up before. Yeah. Um, so so I so it, it, it was a, a it's a fascinating project. Um, we're still in the editing phase, but I'm very proud of it because we are hearing from people we don't normally hear from. I love that. I lo now, what did this? I have to ask. Did this idea just come to you? You're having drinks with friends, and you're like, "This idea was this brought to this idea." Well, actually, this is one of those things where I was on on the other end of the asking, right? So I had okay. a, a very dear friend from Allegiance. His name is Aaron Albano. Uh, he says this is my this is really his brainchild uh, with Mo Brady, who does a, a popular podcast called The Ensemblist and also works at Broadway Cares Equity Fights AIDS. Oh, yeah. Two people that are very much part of the community. And it was their idea. And they said, you know, we really want to do this. And it, and the, they weren't really even asking me mm. for help. And I went, this sounds amazing. Mm. It's like, what do you need to do it? So I ended up being on the receiving end of the asking this time. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and I don't even think they were even thinking of asking. They were just sharing with me this idea that they had. And I said, great, I, let's make it happen. So then it was upon me to like pick up a few, pick up my phone a couple of times, make a few phone calls. And then we made it. We raised a bit of money. We made it happen. So, I love that. Um, and, 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 um, and now those stories are preserved. You know, that moment of, that's really what, that's really what drove me. As I said, mm -hmm. as a theater kid, 20 years from now, 20, you know, the, the next Telly Leung, who's, you know, growing up in Brooklyn 20 years from now, who's not going to have any idea what it felt like to be in a, a performer in a pandemic. I want them to be able to watch this and understand sort of, sort of what it was, what this time was like. And I do think that this moment is fleeting, mm -hmm. right? With all the announcements of Broadway coming back, Broadway coming back, we are so eager to sort of go, okay, well, put that year behind us. Mm -hmm. let's, for, let's like leave that trauma behind. Let's like put it away behind, put it in the closet somewhere, close the door, lock it, throw away the key. Yeah. Actually, there were some really valuable lessons that we reaped during this time. So like to completely throw away that experience to me is not valuable. Mm. And if anything, to have, to have some sort of video capture as a reminder of all the things we learned during this time is going to be really vital for, for not, not just 20 years from now, 20 mm -hmm. days from now, it's going to be vital. Do you mean? Exactly. Well, the comfort, you know, people will find comfort in this in the future. Like you're saying, I mean, it's an educational tool, but the crazy part is what if you recorded this after all these Broadway announcements, how different the conversation would have been had you waited well, I, a month. Correct. And we knew that we knew, we said, listen, we, as rushed as it was, you know, trying to go, we have to get a film crew and a sound crew and a this and get all the dancers in a studio. I said, this has to happen March. This has to happen. Uh -huh. we, we, we literally threw the whole thing together in two and a half weeks. Wow. Um, and so, you know, we, we were like, we have to do it because the minute they start announcing that Broadway opens again, ev everybody's feelings are going to be in a different place. Uh -huh. I bet you if those dancers watch the many cuts I'm watching right now, they're going to go, oh gosh, I don't feel that way anymore. Great. I'm so glad you don't feel that way anymore. But look back on that and remember how you felt just a month ago. Yeah. Is, is sort of the goal. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. An air date? When does this come out? What is it? Oh, gosh. No, no, no. We're, we're okay. still in the editing phase. And okay. frankly, it's weird. This is one of those things that, you know, I'm, I'm sharing a lot with you about this project before, before we've even really gotten a chance to do it. But because of the world as being an ever-changing place, you know, we really thought our initial, our initial reaction was, oh, nobody's going to want to see anything about any conversation about the pandemic or what they went through uh, until a year or two from now. Mm -hmm. People are just not going to want to even think about that. Mm -hmm. Actually, 
But of course, when you're filming a documentary, it's not scripted. You have no idea what's going to come out of these dancers' mouths. You have no idea what's going to come from the evening. Um, And we had a given amount of time that we were shooting it. So actually, the more we watched the footage, we went, oh, this needs to come out soon. Yeah. now because these the conversations that these dancers were having about our industry about um equity and inclusion in our industry about how race is uh, our conversations about race in this industry about um uh, a gender I- identification in our in our industry like you know it's uh it's they're relevant right now yeah so and they're useful now so actually the pro- the producers on our end we were we're trying to figure out oh gosh how do we get this out soon because this we are part of the conversation that's happening right now. Yeah. Oh, that's special. I can't wait to see that. I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. At the moment, at the moment, it's called ensemble, and who knows if that title will stick. But, okay. um, but it really is. We wanted. I, I was driven. I was drawn to it because I wanted to give voice to those people in the ensemble that sometimes don't get the spotlight and we don't hear from them. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. A little sneak peek into the future. That's that's exciting. Um, as we as we come to the closer to the end of our conversation here, are there changes you've made during this time that have increased positivity and decreased negativity? Increased positivity and decreased negativity. You know, I think that pre-pandemic, there are sometimes things we do in show business or parts of the gig that we don't like. That we go, all right. We're doing this. It's part of the job. We're doing it. We're gonna. We're gonna. We're gonna just get through it, you know. Um, and then, of right. course, you go. I took this gig. I don't know why. I think I took the gig for the money, and that's the <laughs> only reason why I did it. But I'm here and I'm doing it, right? right? And then, of course, you always feel a little bit like, ugh, like I'll never get that time back. But you sort of move on from it, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the pandemic, having the industry completely shut down, the pandemic really messed with our concept of time. Mm-hmm. You know, like, uh, like sometimes a day would feel like a year during this pandemic and and you know you were sort of like when is broadway ever going to come back and then all of a sudden they're like no masks and you're like wait 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 it's so fast everything's happening so fast i don't know what's happening you know yeah. what i mean so like so th- i i feel like that this year has sort of redefined everybody's perception of time mm-hmm. and certainly you know with a global pandemic that we, where we've lost so many people and we've had so many deaths i think everybody's realizing that li- at the life is short mm-hmm. and that you know that tomorrow is is a gift right so i i think for me the positive change i'd like to make coming out of this is actually something i learned from one of my college students at the university of michigan this last year i was directing godspell mm-hmm. and um and uh, he he was my student choreographer on the show who was also a musical theater major and uh, he's one of these, his name is Conrad Sager. And, uh, you know, he's one of these people that, uh, to me, he doesn't even know how brilliant he is. He's a brilliant choreographer at all of 21 years old, you know, um, that rivals some of the Tony Award winning choreographers I've worked with, right? Like, that's how good he is. He doesn't know it yet. Uh, and, of course, he has, you know, he has his Broadway dream of dancing on Broadway. But one day he'll, he will be the next, you know, Jerry Mitchell, Chris Catelli. He's the next. Andy Blake and Bueller. He's yeah. the next. And so um, he said to me, he was like, you know, Telly, when I'm dancing in a show, I'm always sort of looking at the clock, waiting for the minutes to pass until the next five minute break or the next 10 minute break. He's like, when I'm choreographing a show with you, I don't think about it. I don't look at the clock. In fact, I lose track of time Hmm. and I run out of time. And I go, that's brilliant. Coming out of this pandemic, I want to do things that make me lose track of time. I never want to count the minutes until the gig is over because then I know I'm not in the right place and I'm not doing the right gig. I only want to do things now as an artist or as a producer or as a, as a performer that only 
that, that make me go, oh, oh, we're out of time? I can't believe that. That went by really fast. Yeah. So that's sort of the big lesson I've learned. And it's a, it's, I, I think of it as a positive change um, in the way I view time and my time and the value of my time. Yeah, I love that. I want to lose track of time. That's yes, yes. And I, I'm thinking, as you're saying, and I'm thinking of all the things I've done where I'm counting the minutes, you know, and then when is it, let's get this over with. When is it over? When like, is it, when are we going to be done? <laughs> when are we going to be done with this? Right. Like, and like, I never, I sort of, I was like, you know what? Life is short. Yeah. And if we get to go back to doing the things we love, let's make sure we actually do the things we love where I'm not counting those minutes away until the next 10 minute break. Do you have a favorite failure or apparent failure that set you up for success? down the road yeah um a failure you know uh i think like probably the this i don't know if this is a failure but it was definitely a setback right mm -hmm. i um in 2015 I, I had a vocal injury and and then i i had to uh take a couple of weeks off my broadway show it took six weeks which is fast to, rec to get surgery recover and all of that but yeah. it was a sort of a scary time you know, I mean, I, I, there are, first of all, there, I, I sort of entered it with this, with the stigma of, oh my gosh, it must be my fault. Or I, I, it's, you know, am I, I'm a bad singer. Mm -hmm. Those were sort of all of the negative voices that were going through my head. Mm -hmm. Um, why, why did I do this to myself? Why did I push, you know? Uh, and then I realized as I was doing more research about it, many people have suffered vocal injuries. I was also scared of the stigma. You know, I'm known as being a singer. Mm -hmm. So I was scared that people would go, oh, well, Telly, he got a vocal injury. He's never going to sing the same again. Mm -hmm. Or he's, oh, that's really bad. He's out. He's out for the count. He'll never work again. Mm -hmm. That would, Those were like all of the fearful feelings I had. And frankly, I, I really didn't share with many people that I, was, that I had to have this vocal surgery. Right. Eventually, and and, and oh, I was also scared, you know, like, I mean, I, the stories of Julie Andrews and Joan Rivers and all those people, like, they scared me. Mm -hmm. Eventually, as I started to do more research about it, I was like, oh, there's so many people who had this surgery and so many people who are singing well after the surgery. And what, it, what that time did, those six weeks off, forced me to do was it forced me to relearn how to make sounds. Mm. I, I had to recover slowly. I had to learn, you know, sort of when, what my limits were as a, as a performer. I learned to prioritize my health first yeah. that you only get you only get one body you only get one voice so you should treat it well and not try to push yourself through it you know yeah. um i became a smarter singer and and even though i was scared to share the story i eventually did end up sharing my story with three other people mm. who suffered the same exact vocal injury mm. and by me sharing my story i realized oh these people now feel empowered and not so alone right. and now those three people that i shared the story with are now healthy singers and they're great and they're now extending themselves to go to find people who are who might possibly have vocal injuries and like sort of sort of like reach out to those people and go telly helped me it's my turn to help you and share my story with of how i recovered from this right right, right. so um you know i i sort of see that as not necessarily a failure mm. but um but a, a setback that i learned a lot from mm. you know yeah no thank you for sharing that i yes yeah it's Talking about things when, yes, when you have something you feel insecure about and you talk about it and you share that journey with other people, there's growth on both sides. I mean, it's a cyclical yeah. thing. It's a synergy that's just incredible. I'm curious, is there a common piece of incorrect advice you hear in the entertainment industry? In 
a common piece of incorrect advice. Um, gosh, that's a hard question. You know, there's so many things that we're told and, you know, I've, I've agreed with a lot of them just in life. And then I'm thinking back on some of the things I'm like, you know, that's no, that's not right. <laughs> that was unhealthy. You know, telling someone to do a certain thing or be a certain way, you know, it's like, uh. <laughs> well, you know, I, I will say, and I, I, you know, there is, there is something that we have to evaluate as an industry, right? This idea of the show must go on no matter what mm. is something that I think we all have to have a reckoning with as, as an industry, mm. you know, yes, yes, we are, we will, we should try our best to dedicate our show, but the show should not go on to the detriment of our health, of the health of our fellow company members, of feeling unsafe, mm. right? Uh, whether that's feeling unsafe, like physically unsafe, like I'm gonna get injured from this, from doing this, or or just like environmentally unsafe, mm -hmm. you know, artistically unsafe. Um, so, you know, I, I think that of course, uh, you know, there, there are going to be things that test us and are challenging. This is why we do show business. You know, we, we, we should tell challenging stories. Right. We should do challenging things on a stage. We should try our best to, 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 to have a good work ethic and do our jobs and show up for eight shows a week. But there are going to be moments where you can't. Mm -hmm. And, and um, there are going to be times where you go, okay, I'm human. And the show, even though the show is eight times a week, my body is saying, no, I can't mm -hmm. do that. What you're asking me to do eight times a week. So even though that's the show that that's been created, you're not the one actually doing it eight times a week or you're not the one being put in that environment eight times a week to know what that's like to do that over and over again. And the toll that it takes physical, emotional, whatever that is. Oh yeah. So and there are, there are going to be times where you go, the show can't go on. Like I've injured myself. The show can't go on. I, I have a death in the family. The show can't go on. You know, like my, mm. my kid, there, something happened with my kid at school. Mm. I got to go and pull that kid out and deal with some family stuff. The show can't go on. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And so we have to account for that mm -hmm. as an industry. It's accounted for in every other industry. Isn't it though? And it's not in ours. Uh -huh. And there's and I and it it begs to it begs all of us to ask why? Why is it not accounted for in our industry? Yeah. Is it because we're taught that we're expendable and that we like that like, you know, great. You you have so many conflicts and issues and personal things we're done with you. We're going to hire somebody else who doesn't have all those things, who wants to be here more. Well, no, 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 no. That's the misconception. I want to be here. Oh yeah. But I, there are things that are preventing me from being here, from being fully here. And actually, if you give me the time to go and deal with that family thing, if you give me the time to heal my body, to heal my voice, to heal whatever, if you give me the time to take the mental health day, I actually will be here better for you tomorrow. So like, and I yes. think that that's something we actually have to really discuss as an industry, mm. you know, that, um, th you know, and, and I think it's both ways. I think, you know, I think the, I think the, the people that are in charge and that are in power know that this is a very competitive industry mm. for all of us, not just performers, but you know, it's competitive to be a designer on a show. It's competitive to be the composer on a show. Sure. Like they know they they know that there's this, this feeling of, of um, expendability mm -hmm. and this feeling that like, well, we're, we're being, you know, this is sort of what happened with the Scott Rudin phenomenon, right? That everybody thought it was worth it to work for Scott because, well, this is the price you pay 
to, to, be, at the to top. be successful yeah. in this business. This is what I have to do. And actually, yeah. you don't have to do that. Yeah. No other industry would, 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 would be okay with a boss throwing a baked potato at you, yeah. except our industry. <laughs> we let it go. We let it go for years. Yeah. It, you know, it's not like it was a secret. So, yeah. uh, like, I think that there has to be some sort of reckoning about mm. that. You know, it is still a business and mm. we have to hold ourselves accountable too. you know, like we not only do we have to demand that that sort of recognition of worth from those people that are the powers that be. We have to demand that of ourselves first mm. and foremost to say, actually, no, I'm, I'm worth more than somebody throwing a baked potato at my head. What a great answer. I haven't heard that. I haven't I haven't even thought about that. And you're absolutely freaking right. I mean, I think about just tumblers doing backflips on a steel stage eight shows a week. My goodness. That's like, you know, you need to take care of yourself. Some of these things are unrealistic. So thank you. Yeah. Um, in life, what's most important to you? Uh, in life, the, the, the most important thing to me are the people I love. That really is it. And I think mm -hmm. that that extends to, you know, my personal life outside of show business it also extends to again show business because the lines are so blurred when you're spending so much time in a theater with people and so much time on a set with people and you're making art with people you're being open and available and emotionally you know uh vulnerable to those people as you right. as you tell stories so uh, I, I i really do think it's it's people mm. uh, and and making sure that um every, uh, you know those people in my life are seen and heard and loved Mm, I love that. Metaphorically speaking, if you could put a word or a phrase on a billboard for millions of people to see, does anything come to mind? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I would say, uh, you know, there's, there's something I've been doing a lot of during this, this lockdown. I, I created a, a, a free live, uh, concert series on zoom called empathy. And it's with my uh, producer from Godspell. It was his first show that he ever produced on Broadway. He's actually, his name is Elliot Maisie, and he's from the world of corporate learning and development, right? If you look him up on Wikipedia, he's the father of e-learning. Uh, and basically, like, back in the day when, like, the internet was... In, first invented, he taught everybody how to use the internet. Coca <laughs> everybody from Coca-Cola to the FBI, how to like use the internet. Like he's sort of incredible. And he continues to be sort of this leader in the, in the corporate world of learning and development. Mm -hmm. um, but because he's also a Broadway producer and we've worked on Godspell and Allegiance, and he's also produced SpongeBob and Bridges of Madison County and Kinky Boots and all those shows. He, um, he was like, Telly, I wanna, you know, I think empathy is gonna be a word that we're gonna need a lot of mm. uh, during this pandemic whether it's being empathetic to people who are sick, empathetic to first responders, empathetic to people who are wearing a mask, people who are not wearing a mask, all of those things, people who have different political beliefs than us. He, we decided to do this one hour free on Zoom concert and conversation event where it's me and Elliot co-hosting with two or three Broadway artists who sing on Zoom and all of that. So I, if I had to put it on a billboard, it would be empathy. And we've done 30 plus of these. And our next one is actually Monday, the May 24th. So, fantastic. Um, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you. 
Thank you so much. And I can feel it. I can feel the empathy from you and sharing it. You're such an educator. I'm so excited to see this documentary and to see the future projects you're a part of. It's just, it's all so exciting. I really thank you for taking this time to talk with me today. Is there anything uh, else you want to add before we wrap it up? Yeah. Thanks Clayton. I, uh, I, um, you know, I, the other thing is I, like you said, I, I am an educator and that's something I really, really love to do and I'm passionate about. Mm -hmm. And I want to just give a little plug for Please. my university students at the University of Michigan. I got to go and direct for the very first time and I directed a show that I know and love very much, Godspell, which is actually celebrating its 50th anniversary. Yesterday was the 50th wow. anniversary, but this whole month, the month of May, um, is, uh, is sort of a, the 50th anniversary of Godspell. And, um... I, I hope everybody can check it out. It's free to watch. So if you go on the University of Michigan Musical Theater site, you can go and register for a ticket and um, and you get to watch these amazing young students make theater during a pandemic. They are masked the entire time. <laughs> we had to film it. There's no audience. And we had to stage and choreograph them nine feet apart at all times. So you're going to see a strange version of Godspell. And yet, I'm very proud of it. And I'm especially proud of these students, um, as you know, Godspell is a show that's created completely out of improvisation. So basically these students not only performed this during a pandemic, they wrote it and they conceived it during a pandemic with a little bit of nudging from me, but sure. it's really them. <laughs> it's really them. They own yeah. the material. So um, it's, uh, I, I, I hope you can all check it out. They're, they're sort of the future, you know, so, so um, it's, it's good to know what's on the horizon. They gave me a lot of hope in sort of what, what the future of our genre is going to be. So check it out. Absolutely. Links to that will definitely be in the bio of this conversation. I thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. This is just incredible. Thank you, Telly. Thanks, Clayton. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Telly Leung. You've been listening to Entertainment X, the podcast. You can follow Entertainment X on Instagram at underscore Entertainment X underscore. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join Clay next week for another curiosity conversation on Entertainment X. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.